strong voices. It's not just about one state, it's not just about one community, it's about all of our communities. The issues that face Indigenous peoples around the world sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political order. I am here and now, and I speak my language. I practice my cultural essence of me. What we do need is a more critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialized logics are inscribed upon our bodies and to critically examine them in order to change it. The government's changed, but we've got to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years and I don't think we're going to go anywhere. What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people. A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Welcome to Strong Voices, coming to you from the Come Radio studios on Under Country in Central Australia and broadcasting to all channels on Vast Channel 911, on 8 FM Bunta Alice Springs, via the Karma app and online at www.caama.com.au. Today is the 10th of October 2019. My name is Damien Williams. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up on today's program, we will hear from a press conference that was held at the Alice Springs Hospital about new accommodation for staff. We will also be hearing from award-winning actress Deborah Mailman about her new ABC drama series coming out on Sunday. And finally, we will be hearing from Roxanne Highfold from the Headspace Alice Springs. We will also... And yes, that will be all for today. We'll be back with more Strong Voices after this. Hey, hey, this is Shawnee Tilbury and you listen to Strong Voice on Karma Radio. Woo! The Territory Ghana Labor Government is investing in Alice Springs, assigning a major project status to the Alice Springs Hospital Staff Accommodation Project. This $25 million private investment is developing a residential precinct within a defined area of the Alice Springs CBD located between Todd Street and South Terrace. At the press conference held at the Alice Springs Hospital, member for Namajira Chansey Paik, member for Breitling Dale Wagfield and NT Chief Minister Michael Gunner spoke about the project. This new accommodation project is $25 million, 110 jobs in construction and it will also allow us to help better master plan the Alice Springs Hospital site. As a government, we're giving it major project status to make sure it can happen as quickly and smoothly as possible. We want to do everything we can to get these units up, to deliver local jobs here in Alice Springs. And it's great to be working with you know, Michael Sitzler, the Whitaker Street Development, a, a long-term local company, local people. Uh, so government, locals, building units here that will support the Alice Springs Hospital uh, help us better master plan the Alice Springs Hospital and create local jobs here in Alice Springs. Thank you. Uh, Dale? The Alice Springs economy um, needs support from the government to make sure that we are investing in the future and a pipeline of works. We know that the hospital is an important part of everyone in the community. We have um, been investing in making sure we've got the right staff by supporting them in proper accommodation that is um, of a high standard will only attract better staff and help people stay in the community which we know is an important step forward. This is about a, a strong future for Alice Springs and this government is, is serious about investing in the future of Alice Springs. Uh, look, I think that this is a great announcement today. 
uh, the Central Australian Health Services do a fantastic job in Alice Springs and surrounding communities and making sure that we continue to invest in infrastructure uh, in the health in Central Australia is a key priority of the Territory Labor Government. This accommodation is much needed and has been needed for some time. We recognise and value our health professionals and we're happy to see this uh, be awarded major project status. Uh, we are committed to making sure that uh, health in Central Australia is a key priority with this uh, accommodation and also with the planning for a car park in Alice Springs. We acknowledge that and we are prepared to work hard with the health community to make sure that our outcomes are positive ones for everyone around. Uh, uh, Whitaker Street Development is delighted um, to receive major project, project status throughout uh, the project for the health accommodation that we're going to develop, uh, which is about five minutes walking distance from the hospital and five minutes walking distance from the CBD of Alice Springs. It's a major project and uh, it's in a, a partnership between myself and Centrecorp, uh, all local entities, and we're just simply delighted to be involved and uh, we're determined to make it a success. It's good that means it's every, every, good news. Good news. Good news doesn't get questions. Um, so around this time last year, Labor conducted internal polling. Um, obviously, we're ten months out from the election. Is Labor doing anything similar this time around? Uh, we're going to do everything we can to present a case to Territorians at the next election that a vote for a Labor government is a vote for jobs locally is a vote for investment in kids, is a vote for quality of living across the Northern Territory for everyone, no matter where they are. We've done that over the last three years. We'll continue to do that over the next year and we'll do that after the next election. That's what we stand for. Um, we saw at the last federal election, uh, only a little while ago, that a strong argument that supports local jobs, that supports an investment in our kids, that supports an investment in quality of living was supported by Territorians. They voted strongly for Labor at the last federal election, and we know we can put the same case to voters at the next Territory election. Has Labor done any polling to come to indicate whether Labor is in the Territory? I think we saw from the federal election uh, where and what Territorians want. And at that election, we put a case for a ship lift. We put a case for an investment in remote housing, we put a case for investment in local jobs and, and in those things that we know will make our community safer and provide a quality of living to everyone in the Northern Territory. We put that case strongly at the last federal election and Territorians voted for Labor at the last federal election. We know that we'll put that case again to Territorians and we are confident if we do the work, we will get the support of Territorians for a second term. Chief Minister, you're battling with a public perception that the government is unable to control youth crime. How do you change people's minds? We know that we have to keep working hard to make the Territory safer every day. That's what we're doing across this term of government. We're giving the police the resources they need, including extra police, honouring that promise that CLP broke, around 120 extra police. Putting on 75 new liquor inspectors that frees up police from the front of battle shops, do more work, extra CCTV cameras. But critically, we've also made sure we listen to the victims and we are putting better consequences in place across the whole Northern Territory. Consequences that make a difference. We know that 83% of kids that go through that victims conferencing don't re-offend. We have to keep working hard 
in this space to make sure we drive crime down. We've got some good results. There are always fluctuations of the crime stats, but we can see across Northern Territory, in many areas, we are driving crime down, particularly in alcohol-related assaults, but the work will never stop. We've got to keep working hard to make sure we are delivering a safer territory for Territorians every day. And obviously, there's been some pretty high-profile incidents of crime in Darwin Park. Is crime in the economy still kind of the biggest issues that Labor's facing? Without doubt, especially post Impex, and while that was very much a Darwin project, when the capital city goes through troubles, that has a ripple effect across the Northern Territory. It's critical we do everything we can to invest in local jobs and create local jobs across the Northern Territory. And we are doing that. We've got a plan in place to make sure we diversify the economy and create local jobs. Critically, we also have to invest in our kids. We know that one of the biggest issues in Northern Territory, generationally, has been antisocial behaviour, our incarceration rates, our chronic illness. All those things can be addressed by an investment in our kids and they will also lead to a safer Northern Territory. We're putting also resources in place to address the now. Those extra police, those extra CCTV cameras, those extra consequences. So we are doing what it takes to create local jobs and to create a safer territory. And I do agree those are two big issues for voters. On the alleged uh, Palmerston incident, do you think it's appropriate for three teenagers, a 14-year-old and two 13-year-olds to have been bailed? Those are big decisions that get made by either the police or the courts based on the kids that go before them. We've made sure that if you're found guilty, there are bigger, better consequences in place that genuinely make a difference, whether it's the boot camps and the 75% success rate there, or victims conferencing in an 83% success rate. We've made sure there are consequences in place now across the Northern Territory, Alice Tennant, Catherine Darwin, uh, Nullamboy, Grid Island, that are also available for different ages, 14 and under and 14 and over. So we've made sure that there are tougher consequences in place to break that cycle of crime, to make sure we are listening to the victims and we are doing everything we can to drive crime down. You've been relying on youth diversion figures to show your policies are working, but people don't seem to accept those figures. Why do you think that is? We know that consequences work and there we are investing in those consequences that we know make a difference whether it's uh, boot camps or victims conferencing or the sentence to a training scheme with first steps where a young offender gets sentenced out to the workplace has to learn that discipline of a job and we know these things make a difference we're doing everything we can to make the Northern Territory a safer place we're doing everything we can to create local jobs in the Northern Territory we have a plan for the Northern Territory. Um, obviously you're on a bit of a tour of the Territory at the moment. Um, what exactly brought about the tour? Uh, I think it's critical to be always a Chief Minister for all Territorians. It's something we've done across the entire term, whether it's myself as Chief individually or as a Cabinet, getting out, visiting people across the NT. I think one of the constant criticisms of every government in the Northern Territory is that you can be captured by Darwin. I've made it an absolute um, mission this term to make sure we get out all the time across the whole territory. We are a government for all Territorians. I guess, obviously talking about youth crime, obviously people in the top end think it's a big issue, obviously it's something we're calling it a crisis. I mean, obviously seeing other parts of the territory is important, but is now kind of the best time to be doing that, given there have been some, some quite high profile incidents in the top end recently. We are required to do work across the entire Northern Territory for all Territorians. So 1.4 square kilometre place that we call home. There's 250,000 Territorians and they all deserve a Chief Minister who will listen to them. Uh, I'm in Darwin and Palmerston all the time but I also need to be in Borroloola. I need to be in Alice Springs. I need to be in Pine Creek, Adelaide River, Elliot, Catherine, Tennant. I need to get out all the time. It's critical that as a government 
we listen to and work for all Territorians, and that is my pledge. Uh, last week, the Deputy Chief Minister, Minister Police, did a fantastic job in Palmerston while I was out in Borroloola. It's critical that we make sure that we're working for all Territorians, and I will never waver in that commitment. Given that, do you believe criticism that you weren't in Darwin or a visible presence last week at least during the spike in crime was unfair? Uh, I was in Borroloola for Community Cabinet, working hard for Territorians there. There are some big issues out that way, from MacArthur River Mine to Robertson River to the post-cyclone Trevor efforts. It's critical that we are constantly working for and delivering for all Territorians, whether they live in an urban centre like Darwin and Palmston or a remote setting like Borroloola and Robertson River. All Territorians deserve a government that will work for them, and that's what they get with this Labor government. And seeing that the policies you've implemented or your government has implemented will take some time to show an impact due to the complex issues surrounding you, do you think it'll get worse before it gets better? No, we know if you invest in the right things, you'll make a difference now as well as in the long term. As a Territorian born and raised here, uh, like a lot of Territorians out there, I've seen way too many of the same problem occur generation after generation. It's critical that we invest now forward today and for outcomes today as well as for the future and we are seeing outcomes today we're seeing that 83% success rate with the victims compensating the 75% success rate of Operation Flinders we are seeing 10-year historic lows around alcohol related assaults so we are making a difference now but critically we're investing in those things that will deliver even better bigger long-term gains as well we're not a government that's going to kick the can down the road we'll do the hard work today to make difference today as well as a difference in the long term that's what you'll get under a Labor government tragically under the CLP we saw cuts to the youth services, the youth programs that we know make a difference. We saw um, the scrapping of the banned drinks register scheme and a considered thoughtful alcohol reform process. We saw them break their promise around 120 police. We know under the CLP there will be deep cuts into the public service. That's not how you deliver reforms that will benefit all Territorians. There's a very clear choice. A Labor government that invests and cares and will deliver a safer territory and jobs or a CLP government that will cut and cut deep and make sure you pay more on your power bills. Thanks, guys. Northern Territory Chief Minister Mark Ugana there ending the, that press conference. We will be right back with more Strong Voices after this. Hey, this is Kathy Freeman. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. The name Deborah Melman is synonymous with Australian film and television. She boasts a long list of accolades for her portrayal of a diverse range of characters. Miss Melman has won awards including both the AFI and Film Critics Circle Award for Most Outstanding um, Actress and was the first Aboriginal actress to win the Australian Film Institute Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role. Her, contribu- her contributions to the art and work as a role as a role model for Aboriginal performers has also seen her receive an Order of Australia medal. Deborah Melman is the lead in a new ABC series called Total Control, and Kyle's and Karma's Kyle Dowling spoke with her this morning about the new series. Total Control is a new thrilling ABC drama series which will premiere this Sunday on ABC and iview, boasting a diverse cast of well-known actors, one of which I'm very happy to say is joining me on Karma Radio this morning. Uh, Deborah Malman, it's great to have you on Karma Radio. Uh, thank you, Kyle. It's really lovely to have a yarn with you. Just first of all, can you begin by telling us a bit about yourself, uh, who you are and where you're from? Oh, well, um... 
so I'm originally from Mount Isa, uh, born and bred, but I'm Bidra uh, on Dad's side of the family, so that's um, South Central Queensland. And Natapo um, on my mum's side. She's Maori and she comes from Tokamaru Bay. Well, very exciting. We're just a few <laughs> days out until your latest series uh, premieres. What's that feeling like for you when it, when a new TV series or, or film is released and, you know, people get to experience your work, they get to share their thoughts? And has your feeling of that changed over time? Um, look, it's pretty nerve-wracking, <laughs> I'll to be honest. Like, you know, it's um, I, I, I really love the show. I'm really proud of it. Um, everyone who's been um, part of the show, uh, you know, we've, we've worked really hard to hopefully get it to uh, a quality that, um, you know, that people will really enjoy. But it's nerve-wracking because there's nothing we can do now. We're just putting the show out and hopefully, you know, we'll get people watching it and, and hopefully really enjoying it. Um, but I'm sort of, you know, I'm very proud of what, we're, what, we're, what we've created. And um, so there's excitement around it as well. What can people expect? What's Total Control all about? So it's a six-part political drama produced by Blackfellow Film for the ABC. Um, I play the role of Alex Irving, and she's helicoptered into uh, the Senate. Uh, she's handpicked by the Prime Minister, which is played by Rachel Griffiths. And so, uh, so Alex is sort of, um, I guess she's entering the world of politics. Uh, it's a sort of seen as a cynical move um, from the party, from her own party. Uh, she's seen as a bit of a joke, you know. She's she's a novice to the profession. Um, uh, so she's sort of Alex is there because she wants to make a difference. And so, right from the go get, she's having to prove the cynics wrong. And for you personally, why did you want to get involved in Total Control? What what drew you to it? Uh, well, I just love the premise of having um, a lead character who's a black female politician. We haven't done that yet before um, in this country. And it is produced with Blackfellow Films, and I've worked with them on a number of um, productions over the years. Directed by Rachel Perkins, who's a very dear old friend, friend of mine, and we've sort of worked for over 20-something years now together. And so it just had all the elements... Um, in you know that were right for me to to be part of something that I think is really exciting. Does that make it easier? Like you said, you've worked with Rachel for, for a, on a number of different projects. Does that make it a bit more easier when you're familiar with sort of who you're working with in that sense? Yeah, no, definitely. Because um, there's a shorthand that happens with with how we work. You know, I know how Rachel works. She knows how I like to work. So the, the so when we're on set, it's it's there's quite an efficiency around around how we get the scenes done. And also, too, like, you know, the other... I'm surrounded by such a, an incredible cast of actors. So we have, um, as, as I mentioned before, Rachel Griffiths. We've also got Aaron Pedersen, Rob Collins, Alice Springdale, Trish Morton-Thomas. You know, these are people who I consider, you know, my dear friends, and I've worked with them over a number of productions. So it just... I don't know, it's like there's... It just it does make it easier. There's there's comfort. There's a great trust that is there, and a real respect for for everyone who's, who has worked on this production. Um, and it just it just makes for a lot of fun as well when um, you're working with people like Az and Trish and Rob, um, because you know some of the, the I guess the subject matter is quite intense. Uh, so it's great to, to to have you know to be with people who you completely trust. And I think you touched on something which is 
exciting to see that there's a lot of deadly women involved in this, like you were saying, between yourself, you know, Rachel Griffiths, uh, Rachel Perkins, like as you're mentioning as well, of course, Trisha Morton Thomas as well. Do you think that aspect as well is in terms of important when we're talking about, you know, women across the country getting involved, not only in in film and, and television, but also within the political space as well? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think it would be wonderful if, if you know, a show such as this actually inspires others to, you know, maybe consider, um, you know, role in, 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 in politics or at least, you know, those sort of leadership roles. I mean, what's great about our communities across the country, you know, we have such strong um, women leaders in our communities. I mean, that's always been there. So it's really nice to sort of, um, I guess, show that within our within our films and within our television series. Um, but I certainly hope that it, it, it provides some, I guess, inspiration and aspirations, particularly for the young women who are coming up now and, and um, you know, who do have that sort of leadership quality. So um, I, I think it's great that, you know, we, and as, as a show, we do look at, at the scrutiny of being, you know, a female politician in particular, um, you know, and what that sort of languages and um, that is I guess that is thrown at them um, when they are in politics that is you know a very different standard to what um, male politicians are subjected to in, in Parliament and in particular talking about I guess what Aboriginal people are subjected to within both exactly the political right. space as well I'd imagine racism and things like that especially within the political space is, is something that's touched on a lot yeah yeah absolutely um, our original working title was called Black Bitch, um, and for very good reason, because it, it's a name that she is called uh, throughout the series, um, my character Alex. So we really wanted to look at that and look at that sort of name shaming and that sort of um, racism that exists, um, you know, well and truly within our communities and particularly for black women. And we just wanted to throw that back into audiences' face to say, look, you know, this, this is a reality. Um, and we wanted to explore that. We do explore that within within the story. Now, how would you sort of describe that that progression in talking about the industry of film and television in terms of Aboriginal involvement? Uh, do you think we're seeing a greater willingness to, to, you know, want to have mob involved? Obviously, there's a lot of talented yeah. Aboriginal people out there. Yeah, no, definitely. There's been some really fantastic changes over the years in regards to um, the development of our work. Um, And I think what's been crucial in that change is having our own writers in the writers' room, um, our own directors, our own producers. And that's been quite a strong direction we've been going in as an industry for some time. Last year, we celebrated... You know, the Indigenous unit of Screen Australia celebrated 25 years and, you know, they've... And over that 25 years, you know, they've been instrumental in developing our artists who are in the industry, you know, creating initiatives for people, no matter what experience, no no matter what background, to sort of come in and actually uh, come and tell your story. And that's what we should be doing. And so it's definitely there and it's only getting stronger. And, And I think Indigenous artists are making the most exciting and interesting shows in the country at the moment. Definitely. I know for me, you know, I was really excited when I got to interview um, Hunter Page Lashada. But in regards to Clever Man, you know, speaking yeah. about the, the diversity of the cast and, and how many Aboriginal actors were in that show, was it was just amazing to see because I think it's that 
normalizing on the screen. So it's not absolutely, just... Absolutely, yeah. Kyle. Yeah, that, yeah, absolutely right. It is about normalizing our experiences as Indigenous people and also showing the diversity of, of what it means to us. You know, we're not all the same. We, we have difference of opinions. Um, and I love that... Um, uh, that we get to see that. But I think really the, the most important thing is that we have our own writers in the writers' room because then we can inform the work with complexity, with nuance. Um, you know, we can bring our experiences to, to the writing room and I think that's really important because we should be the authors of, of our own shows and our own experience. So um, I think that's, that's where the, 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 the great change is happening. What would you say to those people who may be aspiring in terms of getting involved in something like film or television? But what, what would you oh, say do to it. Just do it. I mean, like, there's so many great opportunities out there, um, particularly, as I mentioned before, screen, uh, the Indigenous unit of Screen Australia. They, they're always uh, rolling out really great initiatives, you know, getting first-time producers in to go through um, the experience of what it means to be a producer in this industry. Also... Uh, writers and directors so you don't have to have experience and it's just about finding those opportunities and certainly the Indigenous unit of Screen Australia is a really great place to start because they have that information um, but you just want to you just need the willingness you just need the want for it and and um, be open to what the opportunities might come to you you know you're going to have to consider hopping on a plane and going somewhere and able to sort of you know be part of a production um but, you know, you won't regret it because it's such a great and exciting industry to be a part of. Is is that support, do you think, for the, for the mob who may be living more remotely getting a little bit better, do you think? Yes. Yes, definitely. Because I know that, um, you know, it's, uh, it's about, you know, not everyone lives in the city, you know, and all our services and our resources shouldn't just be aimed at one particular region. Um, and I think the Indigenous unit do it so well and actually going out and actually reaching out to, to people who may not get that information often enough or at least, you know, understanding what is out there and, and and hopefully knowing that you don't have to hop on a plane, you actually can still be there in your community and still get the skills. So I think that's that's an area that I think is developing um, um, really well within the, the Indigenous units in Australia. And that's what it should be, you know. It should be about getting the diversity of our stories no matter where you live. Well, very exciting. Uh, Total Control premieres on Sunday the 13th of October on ABC and iView. On that note, uh, Deborah, thank you so much for taking your time to speak with us on Calm Radio. Oh, my pleasure, Carl. Thanks for having me. That was Carl Dowling speaking with legendary Aboriginal actress Deborah Melman. We'll be right back with more Strong Voices after this. Hey, you fellas. This is Gail Mabe. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio, 8Kin FM. Headspace aims to be a one-stop shop for young people who require support with mental health, physical health, as well as alcohol and other drugs. Today marks World Mental Health Day, a time to discuss mental well-being in the hope to break down the stigma attached. Karma's Paul Wiles spoke with Roxanne Highfold, cultural advisor for mental health at Headspace here in Alice Springs. Roxanne, for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about your journey working in the health sector and the journey with mental health. I've been in the health sector for about eight years now. Prior to that, I was working in children's services and child protection. So my background is 
basically early childhood and youth development. Then I moved into the health sector to do family support, basically casework. I transitioned over from child protection and then I landed a job in research. So I've been in health research for a couple of years. It was an organic progression into the position I am now as a cultural advisor for Headspace. My role there is to assist with trying to increase access and engagement for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community of Alice Springs. There is a stigma around mental health and it's quite challenging. People still feel shame of talking about it, still feel shame about addressing their mental health and their health in general for young people. I think we're in a critical time for everybody with politics, climate change, all the issues. I was just in Darwin recently at a youth summit and some of the issues the young people were speaking about and some of the issues that your generation probably didn't deal with back then, but things around social media, cyberbullying, bystander, all these issues that they're dealing with that are huge, that have impacted, have contributed to, unfortunately, young people hurting themselves or taking their lives. You know, we have high rates of suicide. Um, we, we as a community, we as an Aboriginal community need to get better at identifying those pro- those symptoms or those stresses, how we deal with or prevent suicide in our communities. I think that we should get better at talking about it too and come together and unite as a community and really lay things out on the table and say, well, hang on, what can we use, what we can draw upon, what are our strengths to help deal with these issues? Because I really do feel that there is is this kind of disconnect because we're always trying to catch up with dealing with all our issue, issues and complexities that we have as a community. But I think we need to also take a step back and think and, and come together and unite better as a community. Services, community members, you know, cultural groups, everybody, and be able to come to a common understanding to address the issues in our communities. Young people who are confused, they're not sure what they're dealing with. They don't understand why they can't engage, why they're taking drugs. Young people at a really tricky time in their life dealing with so much going on in their life. You know, their body's developing, they're going through a hormonal change, they're trying to get a sense of being, they're trying to get a sense of identity, and this is not only for Aboriginal young people, it's all young people, and it's just that stage of life that's really challenging for them. We need to do better in communicating with them as adults, collaborating with them, understanding what their needs are, how we can better support them, how we can break down that stigma um, so that they feel okay to go and seek help. That that, um, there are services out there that can support them and there are a lot of services out here. I understand it's challenging and difficult for a young person here growing up in Alice Springs because there's not a lot offered to them out there. Particularly like um, there's a lot of services but there's no, no other, there's barely really any recreational services to support them as well and for them to just have some time out and for them to just be listened to and take some time out from their daily lives. My job specifically is to help them feel welcome to create a space that is theirs and that it's okay to come in and seek some help. We've got um, GP services there, the psychologists there. We're a welcoming spot for them and we're available and it's free and confidential as well. 
Obviously, your work in children's services would have put you at the the coalface of seeing mental health and wellbeing issues. I guess just reflecting back on my experiences there and what I've seen, I, I, um, and also being an Aboriginal community member of this community, I've seen people struggle. You know, there's a, there's a huge struggle, um, certainly with people's health and people's mental health well-being, and those issues play into how people function in everyday life. I got into um, Aboriginal health because at that time I felt working in child protection, I needed to do more in terms of advising how particular tools were developed with tools, I mean, I mean tools, I mean and particular tools that they use to assess Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's lifestyles and measure their competency around being parents. Um, that kind of brought me over to research and I guess since then I've been working on studies um, to look at the, the overall well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and how we better support them. When we look at the depth of the problem, mental health and well-being for the First Nations peoples. It's taken a long time to get to this stage. It's taken 200 years plus since colonisation began. What we're seeing now is people getting to the point of not really understanding who they are Mm -hmm. as a race of people, their place in society and where they're going. I'm not saying that applies to every Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person. But certainly for those who are a poverty level, these are issues that are very serious and and there has to be a better understanding of how the people got there. You know, mental health and um, health in general, you know, there are many factors that contribute to, to that. We know that issues around dispossession and disconnection and that to country can also play into mental health. And um, we also know that past history policies and issues around being disconnected and removed from country and introducing a different lifestyle for Aboriginal people has um, played a huge, um, it has a huge impact and how people live and eat and how their whole well-being and that. I think people are still struggling, still struggling to come to terms and living in this way, in this lifestyle. Unfortunately, the people that um, struggle in situations of severe poverty, um, you know, they have issues out bush with um, a lot of social issues like housing. They really can't, I guess integrate or participate in society um, in a way that's going to be beneficial for them. Mm. Um, As a community member, what I see often is um, our mob sitting on the fence, really struggling to be a part of society, maintain their their culture, um, uphold their culture and live kind of in this... um, in this world where they're happy and also strengthen their health and well-being at the same time. I know that because I went through that journey myself. You know, my um, upbringing was quite challenging. I'm essentially a byproduct of the stolen generation. Um, I know the struggles. Um, my family have experienced intergenerational trauma, um, and it is it is real. People are still, uh, certainly for myself and my family, are still reeling from past policies where my family had been taken away from their communities. There are just so many issues that play into that. Um, not being able to get a ahead um, and just be healthy, 
you know, our lifestyles are different to what our ancestors are, but yet we um, can't really fit into society because of all the other underlying issues that um, has played out in the past as well. And I see people still struggle with that as well. I mean, like, you know, here in Central Australia, you know, they're up to in our springs up to 13 different language groups. You know, we have a higher population, a high Aboriginal population that speak um, many different languages. So um, with people's literacy levels, or some, you know, people's literacy levels are pretty low and it's really challenging for them to even have, you know, conversations or basic communications and or even be able to get a job because of, you know, their literacy levels. And that's another issue, you know, that's in our communities with un- high unemployment rates and um, and that's basically comes down to people one there's no jobs in the communities but second second um, you know people struggle to hold down jobs and and, and because of the education low rates of literacy and whatnot we've spoken about a sense of identity a sense of belonging knowing who you are and living in two cultures Many non-Indigenous people would say, well, what's wrong with you, Mob? Why don't you just get on with it? We're, we're here to help you. We're giving you lots of money. Um, you know, all these billions of dollars are going into Aboriginal communities. You still can't get it right. What are you doing wrong? It's not as simple as that. It's not easy as that. It's complex. The issues are complex. We live a totally different lifestyle to prior to colonisation to what we do now and the integration into society and just participating in society is is challenging you know um it's I see it as two worlds clashing and I can't there is no kind of middle ground and you really struggle as somebody who's trying to navigate that those two worlds um and do it to the best of their ability and look after their health it's really challenging it brings a lot of mental stresses um um, to try and um, maintain a standard of living. We're always told that this is a certain lifestyle you have to live and there's no consideration also of um, the cultural way of living. You know, it's really challenging and anybody can tell you that, particularly in how we address our issues as well. Like I see culture as, culture is not a bad thing at all. Culture is a good thing for our mob um, and it's, you know, upholding our culture, it only strengthens us spiritually, mentally and our health as well. So, you know, I think that the perception around that our culture and particularly things in our culture is, um, um, you know, just, uh, what's the word for it? just brings us down even further is is utterly wrong um and you know the perception that we should just get over it um and that we have many options and there's a lot of money and resource and funding no it's no it's not you know we we're a huge particularly in central australia here the Aboriginal population is spread out geographically across Central Australia and, you know, you get to take in the fact that there's, like, remote communities and that people want to be on country, they want to live on country, so there's not a lot of money or resources going into the communities um, for our mob or opportunities, like, um, you know, like I mentioned before, jobs and that, you know. Um, you know, you can get a job if you... Um, 
out on the communities, you know, if you are able to hold down a job, if the job's available, um, if you have the skills and ability to work in those positions as well, you know, and then there's people who can't be employed because there are other stresses and factors in their life. The challenge with overcrowding, housing, poverty, um, and all the other issues play into that as well. So we know that if you are not well supported in those areas, then you can't really function on a daily basis. And that's, you know, it can lead to stress, it can lead to mental health, it can lead to other alcohol and drugs, and drugs abuse. So it's not alcohol and drug abuse that... Um, is the key factors in our mental health. It's the underlying issues that make, you know, um, bring people to um, rely on drugs and alcohol and other. Aboriginal people drink far less than non-Aboriginal people nationally. It's just when we do drink, we drink in excessive rates of alcohol, so excessive drinking. There is a problem with alcohol drinking in Australia. There is a problem with alcohol, with drug abuse in Australia for everybody, like all cultures. It's not an Aboriginal thing. And I'm, I just want to clarify that because a lot of people go, oh, you know, it, Aboriginal people tend to drink more. And they're all, you know, like, um, you know, drug abusers, alcohol abusers and this. No, no, actually, Australia has a problem with drinking for the, for the for Australia's society, you know. If we go back to the communities and the delivery of services in community, as you've said, many are remote so there's a big issue in a contacting and, and getting people out there over the years there has been plenty of talk about allowing people in community to be able to provide services from within to be trained to a level and I know you touched on education and being able to read and write but the mob have been looking after themselves for thousands of years without that there are many young yeah. people now mm -hmm. who come coming through the system, who do have a level of yeah, yeah. literacy. Yeah. Um, I understand, mm. you know, obviously people are, are, are handing out medication. Mm. They've got to be able to understand that. But the day-to-day -day life goes on 365 days a year. Dealing with the mental health and well-being and having people in the community to address those issues, surely that would be a good starting point. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I would like to see more of our mob working in the health sector. Um, I'd like to see a lot of our mob, um, like you said, younger people are coming up. They're, they're finishing school. We've got higher rates of um, young people now edu uh, going to college or doing their secondary education. Um, and, um, you know, and, I, and I'm seeing more and more Mob of our mob returning to communities once they graduate as well, and you're right. I, I think, I think, there in our communities we need um, more of our mob back there, um, helping our mob um, address the issues and that. Um, and I think that um, uh, there needs to be within the communities. Better ways of um, seeing or um, addressing our issues from two positions, from the non-Indigenous position, so the Western position and the Aboriginal cultural position as well. And you don't see that a lot in practice. You don't see that um, 
um, that multicultural, that two-way uh, way of practice in our communities. And it's only because of like how models are set up, frameworks are set up to address our issues. And that's why it's so important that we look more into um, the self-determinants of health and the self-determinants of culture and how we integrate that into our everyday um, practice and how we address Aboriginal issues. Um, And yes, there are up-and-coming our mom who are becoming more educated and who can see how to navigate the systems to better support our mob, like myself. Mm. You know, like I use research as a tool and way of highlighting the issues but addressing the issues and making more culturally appropriate approaches to health. The idea of two-way learning within communities, you already have Nunkari. The system is there. It's been there for thousands yes, of years. Yes, I think that we're slowly getting there. Like we're seeing it in the hospital. We're seeing it with Achilia. I think we need to look at health holistically. We can't always address the symptoms and the conditions, the chronic conditions. Now we need to look at how we can integrate and look at health holistically, so health from a spiritual point of view, well-being point of view, and rather than an acute model approach to health. And we also need to look at alternatives like traditional healing to help with addressing the health issues. Our mobs still are very spiritual and culturally connected. We do value traditional ways and methods of healing and um addressing our health. So when we see programs like that or we see culture integrated into our approaches of addressing health, um, we feel more comfortable. We feel that we can relate and that we can actually be empowered to address our health as well. When we can see that there's a cultural ways to or approaches that has been integrated in the health model. That was uh, Roxanne Highfold, the cultural advisor in mental health at Headspace in our spring. That's all for this program today, and um, hope you have a lovely day. Strong voices.